you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2021 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. Let me introduce myself. My name is Kenny Hayes. I work for Campus Outreach. Uh, came to Christ in college at Tennessee Tech in 2001. Uh, worked on staff there for a few years and then a group of us moved up to Illinois, and uh, I was on staff in Illinois for 11 years. And then a year and a half ago, my family and I had the privilege to uh, move from Central Illinois up to Southwest Michigan. So we're at Western Michigan University. Uh, I've got a picture. Uh, I'll introduce my family later. Uh, but this is a picture of our team at, at Western Michigan University. Uh, so I get the privilege to work with a really talented bunch of people. Uh, thankful uh, to partner with them and to go and reach students at Western Michigan University. So um, be praying for us. Uh, we've got one student from Western this year. Uh, so next year, I'll give you the update. Maybe, maybe we'll have a handful. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and dive straight into our topic today. Speaking on one of my favorite topics, uh, identity in Christ. Uh, so hopefully you made it to the right place and for taking notes. Uh, be sure and grab an outline. Uh, but identity, it's not an easy topic, uh, though it's one of my favorite. And so uh, I'm going to do my best to unpack and try to explain exactly what that means. Uh, but when I was in your guys' shoes, uh, this concept of identity in Christ meant so much to be able to wrap my mind around it. So I'm going to do my best to try to help you with that as well. Uh, but the trick is, is uh, twenty years uh, in the last 20 years, a lot has changed. So I'm going to have two main points for you today. Identity struggle, and then identity solution. So we're going to start with the struggle. Uh, but in the last 20 years, a, a lot has changed. The traditional sources, social structures that kind of provide us uh, just the natural places for us to find our identity really don't carry the same weight that they once did. Uh, so namely, I'll give you three. Namely, uh, your nationality, your family and uh, church. Uh, so traditionally, those would have been places that people gravitated towards to find their identity. Uh, but it's really not the same you know, like it once was. So just basic statements like, I'm a Smith, or I'm an Anderson, or I'm a Korean, I'm an American, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Christian. Uh, those, those type labels don't necessarily carry the same weight that they once did. And so what has happened it's kind of created this void uh, throughout all society, but especially for the younger generations, that where people would have naturally just kind of gravitated to these various places to find their identity. Uh, those things aren't uh, the same strong point that they once were. They don't have the same kind of pull that they once did. And I'm not even arguing that those three things are the right sources of identity. I just want us to talk about the struggle of finding your identity, knowing where your heart just kind of wants to gravitate towards. So, Depending on where you're at in your spiritual journey coming into this conversation, uh, you might look at this differently than I do, but I would argue that every single person in this room, in fact, every single person in the world, was created in God's image. And so what that means is, is that each one of us have been given these innate desires that are hardwired into our very being. And one of those that, that has the strongest pull in every single human being's life is the desire to belong. That, that we have this longing to belong. That we want to be able to find a place that we can say, that's that's my place in the world. 
This is where I belong. These, these are my people. This is my place. And so this idea of belonging and identity kind of go hand in hand. And God's just kind of hardwired that into us. And so uh, this isn't necessarily a, just a Christian thing, this idea of identity struggle. No, this is a people thing. This is a human thing. That whether you're a Christian here today or not, I would argue that every one of us is in this inner struggle. Um, and that and the reason it's a struggle is because the concept of identity is more confused today than it ever has been. Um, throughout all of history, I would say that right now, right where we're at, uh, just this idea of finding your belonging in the world, finding your identity is more confused than it has ever been. Uh, so take, for example, hot topics like uh, gender. Uh, asking the question, who am I? Am I a male? Or am I a female? Or am I both? Uh, it, it's crazy. If you look at particular sources, New York City has reported that there are 31 different genders that you can choose between in New York City. Uh, other other uh, basic topics like career and calling. When you're asking yourself the question, who am I? Uh, where, where would I kind of sense my calling in the world? You know, 50 years ago, it wouldn't have been uncommon for someone to say, you know, I am an engineer. And for them to spend their entire career as an engineer. But today, uh, on average, people change their careers on average 12 times out of their lifetime. And so it's almost unheard of to find somebody who would say, you know, I'm, I'm part of this employer for 30 or more years. Uh, so what I'm trying to unpack is, is as people are seeking for identity uh, today, more than ever, it is confused. Uh, even broken families, uh, divorce rates are climbing year after year after year. More and more children are being born out of wedlock uh, in, outside of the cellular family. So it's not uncommon uh, for someone to have a mom and a dad with two different last names. But throughout a person's lifetime, they have multiple sets of step. So, so today, I'm not necessarily here intending to spend a lot of time on any of these particular topics as much as I just want to say that at this point in time, at this point in history, as a result of all these different factors, as a person is seeking their belonging and their identity, it's more challenging than it's ever been before. And so in summary, uh, if we're just kind of starting by saying, why should you even listen to what I have to say today? Uh, why should I wrestle with this message? Uh, I, I would simply say this. Is, uh, I'm, I'm, first off, I'm not saying that every single individual in the room today is struggling with their identity. Not, not every one of you. But because of where we're at in history, I would argue that a higher percentage of you in this room than ever before are struggling with your identity, are struggling with your sense of uh, I'm also not saying that everyone in the room even acknowledges their struggle for identity. Uh, that that I, I believe that because of the complexity of our culture today, that this idea of belonging is so convoluted, our society around us is so complex, that many of our struggles are tied to our identity, but we don't even realize it. Uh, that, that the struggles that we have, it's just kind of like the air that we breathe. We just kind of live in them, but we wouldn't necessarily connect them back to our identity. And so what I'd like to do today is kind of unpack this concept in hopes of helping you make that connection. And, and the last thing I'd say in a kind of this warm-up is that this offer, you know, the, the title of the, the seminar today is Identity 
found in Christ. That this offer to find your identity in Jesus Christ, that if we're honest with ourselves, it might sound kind of confusing, it might sound strange or weird. Now, how is it that as I'm seeking my place in the world, that as I'm seeking to find my belonging, that a man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago that I've never even met, how is it that he can be a better source than any other source in the world? Uh, more than any organization, more than any group of people, more than any particular individual that I could find my belonging in, this claim that Jesus Christ, who walked the earth and claimed to be God 2,000 years ago, that his offer to be your belonging, to be your identity, is actually better than anything else that you can find. Uh, so if you're thinking, no, that, that sounds a little bit weird, uh, it should. And you should. You should wrestle with this idea, this concept. So earlier I said that, that everyone is in this identity struggle. Um, that's because everyone in the world is finding their identity in something. Uh, there's not a single human being that hasn't placed their identity in some source out there. And as, as being made in the image of God and seeking to find your identity, uh, because it's so complex, the world has become so convoluted, then I'm, I'm convinced that every single human being then is in this identity struggle. And so what I'd like to do is kind of put the ball in the teeth for you and kind of just pitch out some common examples of where people tend to find their identity. And I've split these into two different categories. Uh, one of them on the positives and the other the negatives. And I've got both of those categories in quotations because I'm not necessarily saying that any of these places are where you are intended to find your identity, but they, uh, the first list kind of has a positive connotation. And in society, most people would say, no, these, these are actually great places for you to find your primary source of identity. Uh, so I'm just going to rattle these off. The first would be the athlete. Uh, maybe maybe you're a varsity athlete, uh, so maybe this would be you, but I'm, I'm talking to people that aren't necessarily even playing college sports, uh, but maybe, maybe you're like me, that if you invested so much of your childhood into sports, uh, you made many of your goals wrapped around uh, pursuing uh, success in athleticism, and that has actually become the thing that you have labeled yourself by. Maybe you don't literally call yourself the athlete, like I do. I walk into a room and what do people think? They're like, yeah, the athlete. Uh, those are jokes, you can laugh at it. Or not, you know, whatever. Uh, so so maybe, maybe it's the athlete, that's the label that you carry for yourself. Or the astronaut. Uh, how many astronauts you got in the room? Any, any? Hmm. Oh, okay. You can put that one in quotations. Uh, kind of all I meant by that is, is this is the person uh, who kind of views themselves as the brains. Uh, they're the smart kid that they've chosen to place their identity in school or getting that career. So maybe it's not becoming an astronaut for you. Maybe it's an engineer or a nurse or a doctor or whatever. Uh, you, you insert kind of the appropriate label. Uh, the author, the soldier, the millionaire. Uh, you, you can add to the list whatever makes sense for you. But think about all the places that people tend to gravitate towards and say, that is who I am. That, that is my belonging. This is the thing that I've labeled myself with. And this is my actual community. Okay, so now let's flip the script a little bit and let's look at the negatives. Uh, these, uh, these might not be so obvious. Uh, so I'm just going to run through them. The addict. Uh, I'm sure in, this, in a room this size, certainly there are some people who are addicted to substances or, or something. Uh, but just because you're addicted to something, I wouldn't say that that needs to become your label. 
that you are the addict. Uh, other things on the list might be the pervert. Uh, maybe you're addicted to pornography. Uh, so, and, and you feel guilty about that. You begin to label yourself the pervert. Uh, the loser. The big disappointment. The lesser sibling. Or fill in the blank. Uh, but I want you to begin to think. Have I taken on some sort of negative label? Uh, because of the guilt that I carry or the shame that I carry. And I've actually labeled myself as this thing. Because of this experience that I've had. Or this habit that I've formed. And so I've actually begun to have this negative view of myself. Uh, so maybe I'm speaking to you today. And then hopefully helping you alleviate yourself from that. Remove that label. Uh, so maybe to wrap up the, the struggle, I'll just say one last thing. Is, is that all of life flows from identity. All of life. In other words, every area of your life is probably kind of finding its initial impulses from the label that you carry, from the identity, from the place that you find your belonging. So I've got an illustration trying to simplify that concept, uh, just some circles here. So imagine the first circle, uh, whatever it is for you, identity. Uh, we're talking about how identity then flows into all of life. So a couple extra common categories to tack on identity would be your, your community. How is it that identity flows into our community? And so um, think of it like this. Uh, this would just simply be the crowd that you run with. Now, who are the people that you most closely associate yourself with? Uh, my bet would be it probably stems from your identity. Uh, so a basic example would be if, if you're a Cubs fan, you tend to want to run with Cubs fans, right? As Cubs fans tend to gravitate towards each other. You want you want to gravitate towards other Cubs fans, and you want other Cubs fans to gravitate towards you. You have this common bond, uh, maybe this common identity, and so you tend to form a community around that. Um, maybe uh, the label that you carry is you're the dude that's just awesome and pick up basketball. And, and you have found your community in, out there on the court. And it means the world to you that the other pickup basketball players would applaud you for your skills. Uh, or, or you know, maybe you're on the club team or you're on the varsity team or whatever. And maybe you don't view yourself as the best athlete out on the court. But within that community, maybe it's something else that you, you kind of feel the need and make your contribution to the, uh, to the team. Uh, maybe you want to be known as the funny guy. And on the team, I'm not necessarily the best player, but I'm, I'm the player that I want people to know that, man, that's the guy that we want to come around because he's going to help us have a good time. Or, or uh, maybe your role is, is you're the smart person on the team that people go to for advice and for counseling. Um, but, but you get the point that whatever the identity that you, you have labeled yourself with, you probably are finding yourself in a community and that is flowing out to your community in the way that you're functioning with people and the, and the particular groups that you're looking to be a part of. Uh, the outer ring would be mission. Now, most, most 20-somethings are going around saying, you know, I've got this mission. So maybe, maybe that phrase uh, isn't the most appropriate, uh, but I, I do believe that everyone in the room uh, does have what I'm referring to as a mission in life. Uh, so for you, think about what is it that you've invested most of your energy towards? Well, what's the project that you would say, I'm giving my life to this? What's the thing that, that you, uh, you've invested your time, your energies, your emotions into? 
And today, I, I'm just going to call that, that's your mission in life. And so, maybe to, to clarify some of those things, uh, I just want to share some personal examples from my own life. Um, in, in high school, uh, the identity I would have given myself uh, would have been the soccer player. So, I, I wasn't very good at many sports, uh, but I was pretty good at soccer. Even as a young child, I, I invested a ton of time and money. I played on uh, several different travel soccer club teams. Uh, went to different trainings. Uh, I used to always go to this training at IU. I was raised in Tennessee, uh, but we would drive up every, every summer, and as a young child, I would crash in the dorms uh, at IU. Anybody from IU here? There's, yeah. Um, and so going into high school, I kind of made it my mission to, to find that starting uh, place on the soccer team even as a freshman. And that, that quickly became my community, the rest of the team. Uh, but I would also say that that was my mission, is, is I wanted to excel in soccer. I wanted to uh, you know, put the stats on the board. And so my identity struggle as a, as a high schooler, uh, that, that was it. Um, but then whenever I went off to college, uh, I wasn't thinking any of this in high school. I didn't think about my community. I didn't think about my mission. Uh, I can see these things hindsight now looking back. But when I went off to college then, I, I felt this void. No longer had the soccer team. I wasn't interested in playing uh, soccer in college anymore, uh, but I landed on this campus and now all of a sudden I've been removed from my community and that desire for belonging just kind of kicks in naturally. Uh, like I was saying previously, in every one of us. And so the way I replaced being in a, on the soccer team was that I went and joined a fraternity. Uh, now, if, now, if you knew me in high school, I don't think you would have ever guessed that uh, Kenny was going to be the guy that was going to go and join a fraternity. I didn't know anything about fraternities. Uh, and even going through the bloodshed process, I kind of wrestled with, is, is this really um, the thing that I'm wanting to do? Uh, I ended up having an incredible experience in my fraternity, so uh, I'm glad that I chose to stay in the fraternity. Uh, but I can easily look back now and say, because of the void, graduating from high school, leaving the soccer team, I was quick to dive into this new social club because my heart longed for that. I longed for a, an opportunity to be able to say, this is where I belong. These are my and it kind of became my mission. Uh, me and my buddies that were in the fraternity, we spent so much time and energy uh, just trying to uh, promote the fraternity to, to build up its, uh, to build it up and recruit other people to join in it. And again, I'm not, I'm not knocking against uh, Greek life. Even today, I'm, I'm working with fraternity guys at Western's campus. I love Greek life. Um, the point is, is I want everyone to begin to think of themselves and ask themselves, for me, where is the place that I go to for my identity? Where is my community? Where am I seeking belonging? And what is my mission? So uh, I'm going to leave you uh, with those two questions with this illustration. Because uh, the, way, the way that this works is those arrows go uh, back and forth. Uh, the community that you dive into, it might be the thing that kind of points you to your identity. But like me, you, you join a new community and that becomes a new label that you give yourself. Uh, you don't have to write those questions down. They're actually on the back. I'm going to give you some, uh, a chance at the end uh, to, to discuss those amongst yourselves. Um, but as we wrap up this struggle, my first main point, we're starting to turn the corner now and look at the second half of the talk. Uh, let's kind of review where, where, we, where we've been. Uh, everyone has been created in God's image. So we have these innate desires inside of us, not least of which is the desire to belong find our identity. And we've also said that every single human being, every man and woman, 
because then the identity struggle. Uh, so no one, no one here is uh, is void of that. We're all struggling with that. And and there's many struggles. There's many different ways that we struggle with our sense of identity. And the culture around us is actually making that struggle even more complex. Um, but to, to to be succinct and to just state the reason why why do we struggle with our identity so much, uh, I would I would say this. It's because at the beginning of time, when God created humanity, he started us out by giving us the original identity that he designed us for. But when sin entered the world, when the fall of man came, uh, when the, the first human beings passed that simple nature on to the next generation, and their offspring passed on to the next generation, to the next generation, all of humanity then was wrapped up in this identity struggle. And the only solution, the only real solution to this struggle uh, that can repair the identity that we first lost when sin entered the world is for God to give us a solution. For him to give us some sort of thing that's going to come in and renew the identity, the original identity that we first were given by God. We have to be able to find ourselves uh, finding a way back to that same identity that God gave us at the beginning of time. So that's where, where we're going to go now, the solution. So, identity solution, my, my second main point. Uh, I'm just going to start right off the bat and just tell you what I think the solution is. Uh, just to make it extremely clear. And that's this. is for the Christian, your identity is found in Christ before it's found in anything else. Uh, that was actually just the title of the seminar, Identity Found in Christ. So there shouldn't be any shocker. But I just want to make it very clear, very succinct, that for the Christian, your identity must be found in Christ before it's found in anything else. Uh, so, so what else could our identity be found in? It needs to be found in Christ more than, anyone, than any other person. And what, more than what everyone else has to say about you. And so, uh, in other words, your, your primary allegiance needs to be to Jesus Christ himself. But not, not only that, your primary way of thinking about yourself needs to be in what does God have to say about me? What does Jesus have to say about me? More than what all my friends, more than all my family, more than my church, more than campus outreach, more than any other organization. I need to understand what God has to say about me. And secondly, uh, your identity needs to be found in Christ more than what you even say about yourself. It's critically important that you would understand what does God have to say about me more than what I even have to say about me. And now this one's a little bit hard. Oftentimes we kind of can see what other people think about us, uh, but we're oblivious to the fact that the, what, the label that I, I carry is oftentimes the label that I have given myself. And you, you need to wrestle with, how do I think about that? And do I think about myself the way that I should? Or the way that I think about myself, the label that I've given myself, is actually contradictory to comfort. That's the word I'm looking for. Words are not my strength, so. Contradictory. Is that, is that a word? Yes. <laughs> what did I say? Yeah. Maybe the way I think about myself is contradicted the way that God has told me to think about myself. And so, if today, if you're a Christian, and 
especially if you're a new Christian, the odds are you need to build a new habit. And you need some coaching. You need someone to come along probably and actually sit down with you and help you in this process. Now, maybe there's someone here today that, that brought you to the New Year's conference or someone back on campus or back at your church. They, you need to sit down and ask them to actually coach you through this. To stop putting your identity in source A and to get in the habit of continually putting your identity in Christ. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time then is look at one key passage out of the book of Ephesians. I'll, I'll have it up here. But if you want to turn there, you can go to Ephesians 1 right now. And, and I want to give you a little bit more help on understanding what does this phrase, in Christ, even mean? Uh, what, is, what does the Bible have to say about being in Christ? And so, let's, uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Uh, I chose this passage because it uses that phrase almost 11 times. So let, let's go ahead and read that together. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So right in the midst of this passage, uh, the author of Ephesians, Paul, has given us this illustration of adoption. And it goes hand in hand with this phrase, in Christ. So to help you understand what it means to be in Christ, Paul's introducing us to this illustration of doctrine. Uh, but, but if you're like me, uh, when I was 20 or 22, I didn't know a whole lot about adoption. Okay? Uh, but several years back, I was actually studying this very passage, and I came upon the word adoption. So just to make a good sermon illustration, I got on the internet. And I started researching adoption a little bit. And I started looking at some statistics. Now, do you know how many orphans there are in the U.S. alone? There, there are 20,000 orphans in the U.S. that do not have a family. Um, the more I began to research this, the more I began to kind of grip my heart. And so my family began this journey uh, to, to adopt a child into our home. I thought to myself, if there's just 20,000 families in the U.S. that would uh, reach out to these children and say, uh, you can come into my family. You can join us. And all those orphans can uh, find home. And so that kind of gives you uh, the picture of the strength of when God says adoption, what it means. And so uh, here's a picture of my family about that time when we were uh, beginning to entertain um, going down this road of adoption. So uh, this is my wife, Laura, and I. We've been married 16 years. Uh, we've got three kids. Uh, they were awesome, uh, but we wanted more. And so uh, here's a picture of our family now, just this fall. Uh, so what's changed is we now have four kids, and we had a, we had the opportunity and privilege uh, to bring this little girl, Maria Claire, into our family. So what I'd like to do for you now is just unpack three very simple truths about adoption uh, that are true of, of children who are adopted, but who, that are also true of us that are in Christ, who've been adopted into God's kingdom. The first is this. In a second, in a moment, Maria Claire's identity completely changed. One second, my daughter was not a haze. The next second, she was a haze. Her identity completely changed in a moment. 
And just as that is true for her, uh, that's also true for every one of God's children. You see, there's not this process. It's not like you go through this application process or you don't have to show God your resume. And it's not like he's kind of um, bringing you through the application process and seeing if you make it through the interviews, you made it through round one, you made it through round two. And then eventually he decides, yeah, I'll bring you into my family. In a moment, you can become a child of God. And you go from not being a child of God to becoming a child of God. That is how adoption works. And that brings me to my next point. Uh, it is this. Is Marie and Claire did nothing to enter our family. Uh, we, we drove up to Chicago. Uh, we adopted this little girl out of the inner city of Chicago. And, and she didn't even have an opportunity to do anything. It's not like we went to the orphanage and checking out all the different kids and be like, man, who looks like they can throw the football the best? And, oh, that, that kid looks like an athlete. Or, oh, let's run some, some tests here. We'll go ahead and figure out the IQ. Whoever can impress us the most, they're going to adopt them into our family. No. And she didn't have an opportunity to impress anyone. Uh, but what happened? We chose her. We chose her and said, you were a hazelnut. You were one of us. You can find your belonging here. And just as that's true for my daughter, for, uh, for uh, anyone who's been adopted, it's also true for God's people. God chooses his people. And he says, you are mine. I choose you, not because of anything you've done past tense, but because the passage read that because of his great love, I'm going to welcome you into my family. And that, that is what it means to be in Christ. Not to impress him, not to show him your resume, but to simply be chosen by him and welcome him into his family. And thirdly, uh, the third thing we need to understand about adoption is this. Is Maria Claire, my daughter, present tense, and future tense, she is doing nothing to remain in our family. For the rest of her life, she is a Hades. No matter how good of a girl or how bad of a girl she's going to be, she is one of us. She is a Hades. And, and that is powerful. Uh, for those of you who are God's children, who have been adopted into his family, you need to, you need to understand this and let this sink in. To, to better understand what it means to be in Christ, uh, you are going to struggle. You are going to fail as a Christian. Uh, it's not what you're going to do to be a good Christian for the rest of your life that's going to keep you in God's family. Uh, God sees your struggles. God sees your present sin. He sees your future sin. And he knows that, that you're going to battle with it. And he says, and you're still mine. Uh, but he's built this gospel, this good news, that he welcomes people into his family out of his grace and mercy. It doesn't surprise God. Uh, that his children are going to go on sinning. It doesn't surprise me that Marie Claire is going to fail at times. In, in fact, at the very beginning, uh, Marie Claire didn't live up to the standard. Uh, this is kind of a joke, but it illustrates my point. Um, she was supposed to be a he. Uh, in, in the adoption process, you get to uh, make your preferences known. Uh, gender, race, health and we really had a wide, you know, wide variety of things that we were open to. And along the way, God began to even open up more and more of our preferences. Uh, girl, sorry, but <laughs> for whatever reason, I wanted to adopt a son. We had three kids. We had two daughters. And I always wanted my son to have a brother. And so we said we were, we were going to adopt a little boy. Uh, there's more boys that are in the adoption process than girls. 
So it made sense. Uh, but we got the call uh, from from the uh, from Chicago saying, "Hey, this mom just went into labor. We got an hour to decide." <laughs> and so we, we had to decide on the spot. I hop in the car, drive to Chicago, uh, brainstorming names because we thought we were going to have a few months to do that, but we didn't. And so we came up with Matt and Kayla. Uh, show up to the uh, to uh, the hospital, and they say, "Surprise." It's a girl. <laughs> and so for the net in Illinois, the state laws, for the next 72 hours, uh, you, you can't back out if you want. And so we had a choice to make. Is are we going to bring this little girl home? But we still chose her. We chose to go with her in our family. And just as personal as our story is, that's how God works with every one of his people. He knows you. He knows you individually. And he has chosen those who he calls his children. Okay, so for a moment, I want to go back uh, to the circles. And let's talk a little bit more practically. In light of our adoption, in light of this truth of being in Christ, uh, our belonging being found in Christ, how does it actually play itself out in our lives? How does this even help us? Knowing this truth about ourselves, coaching ourselves that, that my primary source of identity is in Christ, the center there. How does it play itself out in our community, in my mission? So I'll share a little bit. A little more of my own personal examples from when I was in college. Um, so I, I was saved. I became a Christian in college uh, at the age of 20. And all my best friends in high school were not Christians. All my best friends in college, for the most part, were not Christians. And so most, most of the people that I most closely associated myself with were not Christians. And our lifestyles looked like it. We didn't, we didn't look like Christians. And so now... After becoming a Christian, it was actually an older fraternity brother who, who had a Bible study at our house. He was an atheist, became a Christian before the, before the started Bible study. I started attending, and he, he introduced me to this idea of becoming a Christian. After several months, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, but uh, his name was DT. And he began to take me to church. And he began to take me to prayer meetings. And I remember him taking me to the New Year's conference, and eventually I went on a summer project, a 10 week thing, Tim Sowers does. Uh, to go and, and pack a bunch of Christians into a tiny little hotel with like a can of sardines and live in there. And uh, that, that first couple of years of my Christian life, uh, being ushered into a Christian family was weird. <laughs> uh, they were not like my fraternity brothers. They were not like my high school crew that I ran with. And, and uh, I felt like an outsider for a long time. Uh, I didn't really want to be their friend. I didn't want to, to hang out with these people. I wanted to grow, to learn how to study the Bible. I wanted to learn more about my new Heavenly Father. But I wasn't so sure about all these Christians, these, these weird people. Um, and literally, I would show up at stuff like this, and uh, I had my cool jacket on. I, I kind of looked ex- on the exterior like I was really confident. Uh, but if I'm honest with you, I felt very insecure. When I thought about how little I knew about the Bible, I didn't know how to flip through the Bible. I didn't know how to find any of the books in the Bible. I had very little spiritual experience from my childhood. I was I was very insecure to step into a room like this and a group of people like this. And so it was difficult to actually become a Christian and be welcomed into the family. But the thing that helped me, the thing that gave me strength, was recognizing that my first affiliation, my first loyalties, lies, lied, lies. My first loyalties were with Christ. I was in Christ. And if I wanted to grow as a Christian, if I wanted to grow as a follower of Christ, then I needed to surround myself, as the Bible told me, with 
Christ's people. And even though it was really awkward and really, really difficult, and I had to face my insecurities, and I had to get to know all these people that I didn't necessarily hear a whole lot about, uh, the thing that I found in the back end that it was so worth it. Uh, so, so that would be the community piece. But how, how about the mission? How about the mission? Uh, being brought into God's family meant that I had a new mission in life. Uh, my first mission, uh, probably the, the thing that captured my heart the most, uh, my sister and I were the first in our family so, uh, to go to college. So at a young age, I made it my mission to succeed in the classroom, uh, to earn a scholarship to be able to go to college for free. And that, that, was, that was the thing. More than soccer, more than the fraternity, the thing that I gave myself to the most uh, was I wanted to be an engineer and make a lot of money. Um, but when I became a Christian, now all of a sudden I was given this new mission. Uh, God was saying that you're going to be a part of a worldwide mission, uh, something better than, than you can find in anything else. It was at a New Year's conference just like this that I heard about the mission to make disciples. And I thought, man, I always wanted my life to matter. And the thought that little me can be part of a worldwide mission that impacts not just a few people. That, that's not just great about me and about making a lot of money and about making uh, a reputation for myself. But I get to be about serving others and, and helping them be ushered into God's kingdom as well. And that mission captured my heart. But it didn't come with without cost. To be a Christian in my fraternity was not easy. Some of the guys that uh, were my best friends, uh, one day, after I began to make it known that I was a Christian, my lifestyle began to change. I stopped smoking pot, I stopped drinking alcohol. Uh, I stopped, uh, a lot of things in my life began to change. The guys that were my closest friends now were the ones that ridiculed me the most. Uh, at times, he even spread lies about me. And I, I'll tell you, it was tempting. I was so tempted, again, in my own insecurity, to go back to my old identity, to go back to my old mission, and say, it's not worth it. Uh, my idol of comfort, of just wanting to fit in, I could go back and just kind of be a, a boy, I could be just part of the boys in there, and I could get made fun of. But the thing that gave me strength and courage to press through the ridicule was my identity in Christ. To say more than wanting to blend in with men, as I can say that my identity is first in Christ, is first found in the Heavenly Father who says, I accept you despite your failures, despite your fears, despite your weakness and your insecurities. And that was the thing that enabled me to continue to go on living as a Christian on mission in my fraternity for the next four years. And, and, and I'm sure that if you're a Christian in this room today, you have your own struggles. And you have your struggles with identity before becoming a Christian. And you have your struggles now to even remain a Christian. But it's your identity in Christ that can help press you through every one of them. So, um, we're actually going to just blow past the rest of this passage. I'm going to summarize it for you. Uh, we don't have time to read through. It's kind of a long part. Uh, the next six verses in, in that same passage in Ephesians, you can go back and read it later. Um, flip back one slide see it for two slides. Uh, as you read the New Testament, from now on, uh, my goal after today is for you to not miss this tiny little phrase, in him or in Christ. In this handful of verses, that phrase is mentioned 11 times. Uh, I remember when this was pointed out to me in a seminary class I was taking, taking 
now I can't read the rest of the New Testament and, and not see it. It's everywhere. Uh, the thing that, that well, there's different illustrations that the New Testament uses uh, to tell you what your new identity as a Christian is, but the one that's used the most common is being in him or in Christ. Uh, so it'd be worth going back and uh, reading these passages later on. Uh, but I want to summarize it with this. If you took that phrase out of this passage, uh, this is kind of an interesting way to say the Bible. The themes that you see, the things that pop up the most often, authors do that because that's their theme. That's the thing they don't want you to miss. And so they repeat it over and over and over. So you ask yourself, well, if I remove that from the text, what, what would this passage then say if I remove the key ingredient? And, it's, and this is it. If you removed all the in him, all the in Christ, what that would mean is that we would be left to stand before God based on our own abilities. But to be in Christ, or to be clothed in Christ, another phrase the Bible uses, means that we get to stand before the Heavenly Father in Him. Think, think about it as those, those Russian dolls, you know the ones where you take them apart and there's another one inside it, you take it apart and another. Imagine you're one of those dolls that's placed inside the larger doll. The larger doll is Jesus Christ. So when the Heavenly Father looks down from heaven, He no longer sees you. He sees Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in Him. So your new identity is you've been clothed in Christ. Uh, but maybe that's still confusing. So I've got one last picture. Uh, hopefully this is a little bit more close to home. How many Marvel fans we got out there? Anybody? Yeah, of course. And we struggled, right, in, uh, in the pandemic. But if the pandemic, the pandemic was good for anything, it was good for binge-watching TV. My wife and I went through the whole Marvel series. I was so confused before, but, but now I get it. Uh, but like I say, this is a pop quiz. Anybody can speak up and answer this. Who is the woman in that picture right there? What's that? Well, so, yes. Anybody? Any other guesses? Woo! Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, here's a trick question. Okay. Uh, so the first, uh, the first woman's name, it looks like her, but in reality, the rest of that scene, uh, she actually is covered with this other woman's identity. She peels back her face and reveals her true identity. The other dude in the picture is General Draycock. He, he's the antagonist of the movie. The entire movie, the Black Widow is trying to hunt him down for all the evil stuff that he's done. So how in the world could an enemy walk into his office? She's hunting him down. And he's hidden. You remember he's hidden in some like, hidden space station up in the sky? <laughs> how do they do that? That's beside the point. But she finds him, and she walks straight into his office. But how could she stand before her enemy undetected. It's because she's clothed with this other identity. Uh, it's kind of weird part of twisting the story. It was her uh, adopted mom who was actually his right-hand man. So she had all the same privileges of his right-hand man to be able to walk into his presence. And that is true of us as God's people. That though if we were to stand before God on our own ability, he would wipe us out because we were his enemies. He has chosen to welcome us into his family as his children, we have all the same privileges as his son. Now the problem with any illustration is they always fall short. So don't go home thinking about God like the evil General Dracon. General Dracon welcomed people and women into his family for his evil purposes. The Heavenly Father adopts his people into his family for his good purposes. And we get to be a part of that. Let me, let me close this prayer. Father God, we are so thankful that we get to call you that. Uh, 
of every problem. And that you welcome us into this family. For those of us who are in Christ, who put our only hope in you. So we praise you for that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.